0: Good afternoon and welcome to 1 to 54 Forum. It's a great pleasure to be here today. My name is Karen Greenberg and I'm the curator of Forum for this year's edition in London. As you will have noticed, I've dedicated this program to BC Silver, the formidable Nigerian curator who was such an enormous influence to to so many of us. I first made contact with BC back in 2010 when I was organizing a symposium at Tate Modern around curating in Africa. And I remember writing to BCN, inviting her to participate. Her very first question was, who else have you invited? And I sent her the reply. She said, oh, that's a good list of speakers. Her second question is, how much of a per diem are you offering? And I wrote back saying, the standard per diem that we always offer to all international speakers, I realize it's modest, but this is what we can do. Her immediate reply was, that might be enough for most international speakers but not when you need the money to keep the doors of your art center open. And um, it was striking to me at that moment that BC was so forthright that she knew what she needed in order to get the job done. And it was quite simple. CCA Lagos was self-funded. She put her life and her energy and her soul into making it the incredible art center that it was and continues to be. And it was fair play to her. Um, And it taught me a lot about how you value um, people's time and their intellect and how you bring people together into a community that actually makes a real difference. Since then, I've followed BC's projects closely and learned a huge amount from her. But I was not as close to her as many others. And so it took me by great surprise when I learned that she had suddenly passed away. Uh, She hid the fact that she was ill for four years very, she kept it to herself. She was incredibly brave. She was incredibly passionate and committed to getting things done. And so when in February this year, I found out that BC had passed, it happened to be the same week that Turia from 1 to 54 invited me to participate and curate forum. And it seemed to me that this was the moment to really reflect on BC's legacy and do something in our own small way to try and consolidate that for the future. And so I'm really pleased to be here today to be doing exactly that and to have this incredible group of participants to be sharing in that experience with me. The program is titled Looking Back, Moving Forward and that is taken from BC's thesis, Black Invisibility and the Visual Arts, Looking Back, Moving Forward. She was absolutely committed To using the knowledge and tools that she acquired when she was a student at the RCA in London in the late 1990s to making a difference in Africa. But not just that, she was committed to developing her own sets of tools, models and modes of operandi that were relevant to the context in which she was working. As I mentioned, she established CCA Lagos Against All Odds in 2007, and there she curated groundbreaking exhibitions such as Like a Virgin, Lucy Azubuku and Zaneli Maholi long before the rest of the world had set up to take notice of artists like that. Um, She also invited me in 2010 to do a residency in Lagos. And so I had the pleasure of spending time with her there. And that culminated in an exhibition that we curated together with Judah Nogwi at Tate called Contested Terrains in 2010. She was also known for, of course, establishing ASICO, and we'll be hearing more about that in the coming days. ASICO, a Pan-African Roaming Arts Education Initiative for curators and artists that was really inclusive and critical um, to so many people's careers. And then she's remembered for so many other things, and I just mentioned two here for uh, the sake of time, but Rencontres de Bamako, extraordinary biennial that she curated, Telling Time in 2015, but also projects like the monographic publication and exhibition of J.D. Ojakere, which I had the pleasure of seeing in Helsinki some years ago. The 154 forum program over the coming four afternoons is based on themes that I believe were passionate areas of concern and investigation for BC. Today's theme is uncovering histories, recording the achievements of women artists, and we'll be hearing from our panel shortly. Uh, Tomorrow is themed around valuing research, engaging with the past and working with archives. On Saturday, empowering practitioners, reforming arts education and curatorial practice. And on Sunday, challenging the mainstream, creating platforms for lens-based media and sound art. There are Um, Some handouts at the back that have the detailed program and list of contributors. We are fortunate to have participants from all over the world, literally from Delhi to Texas and everywhere in between. I'm delighted that they've made the time to be here, and I think that's testament to the special friendships that BC formed with so many of these people. Uh, Of course, we also have a really fantastic contingent of participants from Africa, particularly Nigeria, Ghana, and South Africa. And I want to mention especially... Ehayani Onwukbucha, the curator at CCA and current acting artistic director, who we'll also have the pleasure of hearing from shortly about what it means to take on that legacy and be shaping that incredible space for the future. So these people were, like myself, inspired by BC. Um, Many of them contributed to the successes of her various projects, but I think what we all have in common is that we benefited from her, at times, uh, quite fierce critique, um, but also her wise and very generous counsel. <laughs> um, I want to just draw your attention to a booklet that we've created um, with contributions from many of those people. At the back, you can pick up one, please do. Uh, remembering BC Silver. It's uh, very anecdotal and some very warm memories of her. Further um, contributions can also be found online on the 154 website. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank at Turia and all at 1 to 54th for the opportunity to share this with you and to have this platform, especially Olivia, who's been a wonderful support and making all the logistics um, happen smoothly. I'd like to thank the speakers um, and the artists also who have agreed to their videos being screened on Sunday afternoon. I hope you'll be able to join us for many of the other talks over the coming days. Finally, I need to thank the Arts Council England and also Christie's Education for providing the support for which this program could not happen without. Um, Without further ado, because we're running a little bit late, I'd like to take a moment um, to invite our speakers for this current panel up onto the stage, and I'll just quickly introduce them in a second once they've taken their seats. Thank you. On, my far, on the far left is Alvira deangani Anganiasso, the director of the showroom and a former colleague of mine. Um, Elvira is, was senior curator at Creative Time, the New York-based nonprofit arts organization, and also a lecturer in visual culture at Goldsmiths. Prior to that, she was curator of international arts at Tate Modern and a close colleague. Together, we established the Africa Acquisitions Committee. Um, she was a very long-term friend of BC's and also involved in Women on Aeroplanes, which I believe she'll be talking about briefly, uh, a project that both um, Elvira and BC and many other people contributed to. Um, on my, I'm not doing this in order, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> on the far right um, is Nontobeko Ntombella, who is a curator from Johannesburg. Uh, Nontobeko did her dissertation on Gladys Landlu, a pioneering women artist from South Africa who was born in 1917, and she then went on to curate a really fascinating exhibition called A Fragile Archive at the Johannesburg Art Gallery, which brought together works by Valerie Desmore and Gladys mgul Mg- um, She's a lecturer at the Witz School of Art, uh, where she de- is developing the postgraduate programme in curatorial and exhibition practice. Uh, next to Nonto. Is um, Evelyn Nicodemus, who is an artist, writer, and poet born in Tanzania, but who has been based in Europe since the early 1970s. Uh, Evelyn's PhD was on African modern arts and black cultural trauma uh, at Middlesex, and she is one of the editors of Modern Arts in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. And then in the middle, on Elvira's right, is Marlene Smith, an artist who also curates. She's associate artist at Modern Art Oxford and an associate at Making Histories Visible, a research centre and archive created by Lubaina Himid at the University of Central Lancashire. From 2015 to 2017, Marlene was research manager with the Black Artists and Modernism Research Project led by Sonia Boyce. I'm very pleased to have such an esteemed um, panel. Thank you so much for participating and we very much look forward to hearing more from you.
1: Um, thank
0: you so much. Uh,
1: good afternoon everyone, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Karen, for these beautiful works on, um, on BC. Thank you, Turia. And just to consider uh, the possibility of honoring her I I don't want to get emotional. (laughs) I knew this would happen. Anyhow, I'm going to try. I don't want, one of the things that I, as I was listening to you talking, sorry. (sighs) Sorry. So as I was listening to you talking, I thought that BC won't like me cry first and foremost, <laughs> but she won't like also a somber um, atmosphere, right? So, I want us to celebrate her life, uh, and, I, and I think that's the most important. And the fact that we hear that somebody like Evelyn Nicodemus, who has been part of my, um, I will say, my childhood as an um, art historian in um, my maturity, uh, I don't see you as often, but I uh, I admire you dearly, and you have been part of my life from the minute that I was looking what this African art mm-hmm. meant for everybody else and what I hope it will mean to me. Um, and, you know, Melanie and Nonto, we just met, but I, I feel that we are uh, extraordinary people, When when, but we are also very simple, and that's something that also beats Bc told me right that we we there is no necessary um artifact and fireworks to show somebody's grandiosity right um i thought to the best testament for her in this condition was to talk a little bit about woman and airplane talk a little bit about uh because for me what she did also working with the country is fundamental so i i brought some uh of so we we produced InFly magazine for the project. There was a collaboration, as, as um, Karen was saying, between a group of people. Um, and because, I don't know if you know, but I'm, uh, like, next door, I'm running a, a program called uh, Collective Intimacy as part of Bla- Theaster Gates, uh, Black Image Corporation, and it runs between 10 to 2 p.m. At 2 p.m. I was sleeping, believe me, but... It's taking me my memories completely out of out of place. I thought that I'd read you some of the contributors to the magazine, and, and that was made possible, particularly um, because Annette Bush, uh, and marie Goodberg, Magda Lipsa, and BC, who when attending um, a panel on year zero, were wondering, no, were, were asking where the women in the story, the Pan-Africans' history, where no? uh, wha- how uh, her con- their contributions could be uh, kept, could be, uh, oh and, and why they had uh, fallen into oblivion, right? So most of the project started under that questioning. So I brought some um, They are not for everybody. So I'm going to ask Julia, who is an amazing, are historian in her own right and I uh, was lucky enough to be her um, master teacher you had to go at the back so you start at the back and I start here you get one and the give the other ones and just want to share that with you so you have it but as I was saying it's for me an enormous pleasure to be in the in the, in the um, presence of uh, incredible talent um, and incredible public intellectuals um, as uh, Karen was saying, um, in, 20, in 2007 BC uh, opened um, Center for Contemporary Art Lagos. And I have to say, I didn't know at the time, but that was the first time I met her, and the first time that I did a talk <laughs> in the space. Uh, it was a tough ride. I had been in the, nation, the National Museum uh, giving a talk, and she was saying, well, you know, you should do this, and that. She was very critical. What I had prepared, but I said, okay, I can do this again if you allow me. And she connected connect me with a number of young artists, uh, art his, local art historians, and we were in CCA Legos, where it was basically just an empty space. And we started talking about an exhibition that I did at the time with Gavin Gobo, Kwesi Gule, and Tracy Mirinik called Olvida So he raised me from who I am about uh, art in South Africa. because I was saying, One of the interesting things about her uh, creating this space in 2007 wasn't just that she produces this project. It's that she changed context. And she created new frames of reference. And she did that for me at the very time. She imagined this in the 1990s as as part of that uh, research that Karen just mentioned, when she was a student in the College of Art and was toying with the possibility to going back to Lagos, not to going back to her own environment and context. That wasn't, uh, I don't know if you know the history, but was much less <laughs> effervescent than it is today. No? And she was trying to, as I said, to, ch- to create a space that will not only change her location, but as I was saying, her frame of reference, her formulation of such a space. And, and we will hear more about that later th- today or, or maybe in the upcoming days had uh, the spirit of experimental artistic practices and working with a variety of media um, as a core. And and she did that in a place that uh, that although has a rich and populated local custom and vernacular culture, uh, fell to her a tabula rasa. Uh, I'm not going to extend much more on on how she imagined, but but while I was thinking about um, what she did in terms of the context, uh, I, I remember uh, Ngungi, What the Work, and I know he's not that woman, but this comes very good, yeah. <laughs> so please allow me. Ngungi says in, uh, in a barrel and in the pen, um, knowing oneself and knowing one's environment was the correct basis of absorbing the world. There could never be only one center from which to view the world but the different people in the world have their own culture and embodiment as center. The revealing question was therefore of how one center relates to other centers, right? And if we uh, can imagine the work of BC, I will imagine that it's these centers connecting to each other. And in something very beautiful that Hansi Mamudu who is one of the contributors to the booklet that you, you could uh, collect later on, said in a recent panel, that she felt um, that BC has um, told her that art should be an act of radical friendship. And this is something that has haunted me since I heard her speaking. And I think beyond the idea of the network, we should start talking about art in that way and platforms such as this in that way. But I'm going to give the mic the floor to, um, as I was saying, Evelyn Nicodemo is an artist that I admire dearly, but an incredible public intellectual which is also part of the roles that we need to do, no? to transform um, not only spaces that we, we intervene with as curator, but also the public sphere at large.
2: Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for having me here. Um, Currently I'm just I have an idea trying to map the question of conscious and unconscious bias. Uh, so my little speech will be basically on what a subject I'm I'm working on now. A, the title is "Conscious and unconscious bias against women artists, passed from generation to generation. I will start with a solidarity poem penned by poetess Chen Tao, a concubine of Sunung Prime Minister in Asian China, Court and a court. Her husband asked her to buy a bolt of silk. The wind is cruel, her clothes are worn and thin. The weaver girl blows on her fingers, beside the dark window, back and forth. She throws the shuttle like a lump of ice. During the short winter day, she can scarcely weave one foot of brocade. And you expect me to make a folk song of this? We are seeking girls to sing. Mm-hmm. Conscious and unconscious bias against women <coughs> artists is universal. It is a naked fact, a collective learned behavior, passed on from generation to generation. Women's contribution in arts of ancient China are documented from around 3000 BC, when the Yellow Emperor's consort invented and taught to the people the techniques of spinning, dyeing, and weaving silk. These Chinese women artists in ancient China were very, very lucky indeed, for there exists evidence working to prove that these Chinese women artists were living and working from around 80th to 12th century BC China. It's mentioned in the earliest example of Chinese writing. Thanks to these written documents, these Chinese sisters has not ended up in art history's dustbins, where majority of women creators ends. A conscious and unconscious obliteration. Textile arts were recognized as art in the 15th century China. The famous women artists of Kufa were praised as quote and unquote, one of the wonders of the world. Medieval European churches imported these anonymous female works of art as wall hangings in their churches. The Roman Empire valued silk so highly that it was worth more than its weight of gold. How come? The world museums, art galleries, private collectors, etc., are overburdened by creations of male artists. How come art history books are all about male artists with few female exceptions? How come creations of women artists are ephemeral? The production and decoration of silk was invented and largely done by women. It was through the arts of these women, East and West first exchange culture and ideas. Art does not exist unless it is received as such. Until then, it's just a mundane thing, a simple utensil. The French cultural sociologist Pierre Bourdieu stated that, quote-unquote, the definition of what is legitimate culture occurs through exclusion, this as selection and calls the establishment of a canon in the guise of universally valued patrimony an act of symbolic violence i believe it's fair to state that violence against women in all its forms be it physical or psychological also manifests itself in selection exclusion, and silencing of women artists. The art world is a mirror of patriarchal societies we lived in. The dominant patriarchy legitimating and articulating its power through the field of restricted cultural production as Pierre Baudier baptized it. Patriarchy sustaining its domination, the power of naming an object as art. The invisibility of women artists is not an accident. Equality in the worlds of seeing was and still is an empty ideology. A symptom of Sikh patriarchal systems where women artists and intellectuals are devalued and treated as an offense. But nothing stays the same forever. I'm aware that it's mostly men in position of power who will dissect and consecrate my creation as art. Men in position of power will declare my creation as indeed art, the almighty gatekeepers. But again, nothing stays the same forever. I also know that as a woman of color, a construction I'm still struggling with, are we not all humans of color? The beauty of it all. I also know that as a black woman artist my contribution in the arts will be minimized through bias of selective blindness and selective deafness. Gender discrimination and harmful stereotypes still dominate the worlds of arts. I dream a day when racist, sexist and all forms of discriminatory behaviors Will have no place in the arts.
1: Thank you. There there are elements of your um, uh, of your presentation that I, I hope we can unpack later on that has to do with aspect of a structural uh bias, no, which which has to do with this selecting deafness, selecting discrimination. And and I love the the moment of uh, the reivindication of the uh, of human and colors, right? It's like the and in a way almost t- to try to go beyond the as somebody was saying, the, the talking points of, of the of the cultural reminiscence at the limit of uh, of one's practice of one uh, relationship to art making or exhibition making, right? Like I think it's important also to to discuss that later on. do you want to go ahead, or well, shall we wait a little bit? Yeah, thank you. Sure. I know, good, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> two two. Okay. Well, he's here, so my ah, yes. so, okay. so, we want to we
3: want
1: to wait um, a little bit. Thank you so much for rushing. There you are. You to, uh, That's so should I just go
3: Yeah, 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 please. Um,
1: Do you need the first one? There was an image. Before. No, no, no. So. It's OK. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> uh, I guess... My, my response to, to this invitation is really premised by um, more current conversations I'm, I'm having with colleagues back in South Africa, um, but I've also been a conversation I've been having with BC um, since 2015. So mm-hmm. she decided to take a CECO, Um she's very deliberate in telling me that I'm not coming to South Africa, <laughs> but I'm going to Mozambique for the reason that, you know, we should not be coming to South Africa. Um, And uh, in that conversation, we spoke quite a lot about um, exhibition histories and why they become um, so important in the way that uh, also became a concept that became a debate is that are we talking about invisibility of women, or we're we talking about visibility of, wo- of women in particular ways. And in thinking about um, this tension and around this, this word and this concept, uh, of late I've been interested in a core, I suppose a demand that has made to particularly black women in South Africa where violence upon black women's bodies has become so hyper-visualized and public. Um, You know, you are part of a conversation that talks through you and at you through a kind of ubiquitous presence. Um, At the same time, there is a hyper-focus on your being. Um, the dying of Oyenene, um, a student from UCT, um, has brought that to such a way that there's a political conversation now happening. So in a way, it is talking about visibility, but then we are also talking about a vis- visibility of a black body in, in ways that that aren't necessarily celebratory, that aren't necessarily talking about a kind of intellectual um, contribution that is centering itself in um, particular ways canons have been formed. And my research on black women artists and early modern artists particularly has, in the conversations around Oye Nene, I've been thinking a lot about this double bind that we find ourselves as black women in the arts. Um, the call to speak to the everyday provocation in your face. You must yeah, yeah. speak back. Your body is um, continuously violated. Your work is demanded for you. To, for You you have to qualify while you're present. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there is demand to erase you, um, and you and make you irrelevant. So these structures and these kind of um, institutional, systematic way in which visibility um, uh, becomes a question. A conversation about two weeks ago with um, three artists has somehow maybe made me come closer to an articulation of what I'm trying to think through, and I'll speak back to these two images here, um, is there's a call to respond to the violation over the black body. At the same time, I'm interested in the other part is, can we get to a moment where the need to qualify that I'm a black woman speaking is no longer a necessary qualifier? Can I get to a place where this is an everyday? Um, and so these two moments for me are what has been holding conversation and I thought it to respond back to the kind of research I've been working on, these two images may help me um, speak to, to this tension. Um, and on the one hand, I'm sorry, I, I didn't, my computer has had problems for a while, so I just brought images. This work here is of Valerie Desmond. It's uh, called The Crab, it's made in 1961. This is a particular moment for South Africa, South Africa becoming um, Republic. This work is also 1961, which was done by the artist Gladys Guzlan, who is called Landscape. And these two women artists um, have been part of my conversation in speaking back to what has always been an interest for me as as a black uh, woman practitioner in South Africa, where do I place my work? And who are the kind of um, pioneers that places me in this Art historical discourse, and the two of them coming from very different backgrounds have always presented quite, you know, complex positions of that visibility. 1961, as we know, is South Africa becoming a republic. You have the work "Crab" by T. S. Murray, who um, is in a, converse, in a recent conversation. We've talked about the fact that this was a particular moment that defined um, the colour bar, she's in London, and she's commenting back about the rejections that she experienced as a coloured person. Um, The idea of the crab looking away, the idea of the crab surrounded by this white background, um, is something that for me has been an interesting comment from her as in a rejection of this history, um, as in a walking away from this life. She leaves the country in '46 because of racial oppression um, with a desire to pursue an art career uh, in, in London, which does not necessarily materialize within visual art, but it materializes in fashion. So as someone who has this dark past of leaving South Africa because of racial discrimination, to make a work in 1961 commenting about these racial changes um, has been quite interesting in the sense of speaking to a particular kind of refusal of existing. Um, again, here is someone who chooses, she comes to come and she's here to study at the Slate, but chooses to leave that program because she felt unsuited for it. Um, and those moments for, for me of her sp- with uh, an articulation of her agency, and the production of this particular work has been particularly important. To think that one has a voice to reject a particular system that constantly wants to place her in a particular way. Similarly, the work of Landry has been quite interesting in the way that she uses or represents land. We you know, land is contentious in South Africa at the moment, or is land mm. is contentious <laughs> across. The continent. Um, and to be in 1961, to want to claim um, a landscape and produce this kind of work, what is it that Geddes was trying to claim as an artist of colour at that particular moment? And these two artists for me have been brave in a sense of wanting to present themselves and present a visibility that today we can understand holds so much weight politically. Um, but it was also a particular maneuver in being able, and a form of brave bravery, to be able to place their voice in that particular way. Of course, we know how they work. It's absorbed into the system because they are speaking to a particular palate. But the political elements and the deep conversations that they were having at their particular time is things that I think have only come to surface now. Um, and they speak back to this idea of a particular visibility. Mm-hmm. And I think I'll end there before I complicate. you
1: Before we go to you, Melanie. Um, Again, the sense of over-visibility comes back, and what that means, that over-visibility, that that, um, in a way you're talking in terms of the black body, but also if one look at this word conceptually and and the fact that only now some of the much um, deeper meaning of Mm -hmm. these pieces are coming alive, Mm -hmm. in a way that perhaps we or people the contemporary were not able to uh, sustain for for many reasons uh, uh, because the contentious element they, they are both explaining were we're part of that but I would love uh, later on in the discussions to go back to this idea of womanhood uh, avoiding the fact of womanhood of, of, of being a woman being a woman uh, as a necessary qualifier but the work no because we we can go uh, and explain that later and in a way connects beautifully with what um, um, uh, um, Evelyn was emphasizing earlier with a human of color, now instead of a woman of color. So um, we have now Melanie to I contribute to. Oh, Jesus! I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I need to sleep much more. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I keep, I keep doing that all the time. <laughs> also, <in emails. laughs> Sorry, Marlene.
4: So um, I want to begin by saying that I'm really privileged to be here, and um, it's a great joy to be um, sitting amongst such company, and I've really enjoyed listening to both Nanto and Evelyn uh, talk about their their work and their take on this really huge topic. Uh, so when I was trying to think about how I would approach a discussion, of, um, I, I did prepare a much- bigger presentation with lots more slides but we've had some technical problems. So I'm going to talk to you by referring to a piece of work that I made in 1987. Uh, and this piece of work is called Art History. Um, and um, Nata ended by asking a question, I think a provocation about why it is. Um, or reflecting upon the fact that some of the artists that she's been researching are only now being considered. Mm -hmm. And that that is to say that what's been omitted up until now is a way to look at what the art does, Mm -hmm. sorry, what the art did Mm -hmm. in 1961, Mm -hmm. what it does now Mm -hmm. when we look at it in 2019, Mm -hmm. and what it will do Mm -hmm. as we change and, and, and we change and the art changes, the meaning changes so I'm going to talk you through this piece first before I go on to talk about my practice a little um, oh, perhaps I'll, I'll do both at the same time, so this piece is particularly interesting to me, not just because I made it but because it, um, in 1987 when I was a young artist still trying to find my way um, a, an artist born in the UK of Caribbean parents, uh, and part of a generation that was really, um, let's call us the second generation of artists that went through, um, in the post-war period, went through art um, colleges, because as Nanto mentioned, there was a generation before us who tried very hard to go through an <coughs> artification and to, to, to enter into to, to modernism. And who were over and over again refused that entry, but that's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, one of the the key piece texts that I read as a as a twenty something year old was a piece by, um, of course, the name's gone straight out of my head, um, bell hooks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which talked about um, a kind of broader history of black feminism and of black women's um, um, kind of place in the, um, particularly in the, the, um, the struggles that have been happening in the States. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a second was Alice Walker's In Search of Our Mother's Gardens. Mm-hmm. And I read it as a kind of antidote or a... Um, or, or as a mirror of the essay that had been written some decades before that by Virginia Woolf, A Room of One's Own. And in Walker's work, she she asked that qu- a question, which for me as a, uh, a, you know, it was really early in my 20s, for me to, to kind of confront this question, which was, if you're not able to own yourself, how do you, you can't own a room of your own. That, does that mean, then, does, does, does Virginia Woolf's work follow that there cannot be any black women artists? And, and, and as, a, as a, a young practitioner, the question that seemed to be coming to me was, you can't exist. Do you exist? Can you actually exist? Mm. Um, and so one of the many strategies to respond to that was to look at or to try to find evidence that I wasn't alone, that mm. that I did exist and that there had been other black women artists? And one of the earliest uh, um, references to a black woman being an artist that I could find at the time uh, was to the woman in the image at the right and the right hand um, column, um, who's a African American artist called Edmonia Lewis, who had, mm. against all odds and m- quite miraculously, I think, um, had a, a successful career as an artist back in the late 19th century. Um, so that's her f- her image is the first on the right at the top. The second image is an image by um, a contemporary of mine, and an artist who was studying by, Bi- I'm sure, at the time that, uh, that she made this image. It's a self portrait by an artist called. Simone Alexander. The third image um, coming down uh, is um, are the hands of uh, the ceramicist, the potter Madelina Dondo, who's mm-hmm. had a very successful career as a, as a ceramicist here in the UK. And lastly is an image by uh, a photographer called uh, Brenda Egard. And I always say the names of the artists when I'm referring to this, to their work. Um, and it's a portrait called Portrait of Our Time. And if I can draw your attention to the to the object on the left, the object on the left is, is a vase. There's actually a physical um, glass vase in, in there sitting on a shelf, but it also sits within this crocheted um, basket. And that kind of presentation is a... Um, is uh, um, something that you would have found um, in many, many homes of Caribbean migrants uh, at the time. And it, I actually asked my mom to, to crochet that for me. Mm-hmm. And she did as, as I asked. So it's the first and only piece of work that I can't, um, collaborated with my mother on. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh,
4: and then the... I think now, beautiful plastic flowers that are <laughs> in that vase, um, actually, there's a, there's a long history to those, to, those, to those flowers because when I first made this work in 87, I bought some... My pla- buying plastic flowers was really easy. They were available on, in every, every corner shop, had some plastic flowers, whereas now we're a bit more sophisticated and we have these silk things and flowers that really look as if they are flowers, which wouldn't have done at all. Um, So the first set of flowers, I lost them. I didn't actually lose them, I used them for other things. As you do as an artist, you kind of reuse things. So in 2017, so this, this piece was made in 1987, but it was 2017 that it was acquired into a public collection. And obviously, by 2017, I didn't have those plastic flowers anymore. So um, a great friend and colleague of mine, um, who's also an artist, managed to, um, to retrieve these hot citrus blooms from his mother's, from his mother's home. And I, um, I put them into the piece. Um, I think that, in many ways, it, the work speaks for itself in that it's trying to address so many of the questions that we are discussing now around visibility, invisibility, around what is art, what 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 do we, how do we define what is art and creativity? What are the hierarchies around the practice and the materials? Um, and those questions are not new questions, they haven't been, they've, they've yet to be resolved if they can be resolved. Um, but it's very, it was a very poignant moment for me when this work was brought into collection. Because when my mother made that for us, she was about the age that I am now. Mm-hmm. And she's now 84 years old and she has Alzheimer's. So mm. not only is it the first collaboration, it, there will be no other collaborations. Mm. Um, and. image in this piece has a history um, which relates to the history of art but also to the history, the personal histories of those the women that that are uh, implicated uh, in the work. Um, Actually I think I'm going to stop there.
1: Um, can I ask you, which collection, public collection, bought mm. the work? Sheffield. Sheffield, fantastic. So that's where you need to go if you want to see it in person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it, it also so you has brought it into basically a context that Nanta's work and, and um, Evelyn also mentioned it earlier, which is the context in which this work develops, not only the aspect of creating the work, but also the displaying of the work, the acquisition of the word, the word getting into our history right? And I think it's very important to also determine, because some of the conversations we can have that perhaps freer the world to understand, mm-hmm. somehow they are, then after after that sort of set of conversation, after that sense of um, congregations, of how you know we gather together around the production of the work, then it gets constrained or limited to other ideologies and other structures which are within the institution to begin with, but also within the Field work uh, of our history, so I also want us to to discuss about this now because um, the the, the um, violence as, as um, silencing woman artists, the violence that is manifested that Nonto and uh, Evelyn were talking about, that is manifested also through um, the silencing and the, the the absence of the presentation of these artists within the history, shape the way that also our history. Um, is um, is projected to you know other generations no? and I th- I, I just 'm mixing now who said um, uh, because you you uh, who was talking about the pioneers right the idea of of creating um, work in which we name our sources. Mm-hmm. We, we establish a lineage um, of that beyond even sisterhood, because I want to go beyond, as, as, as um, Evelyn so beautifully uh, mentioned earlier, no? to, to a point where we are talking about humans in a way that we feel that there is no need of establishing a signifier womanhood in order to present our practice as as well as we can fight for a non-signifier uh, African to present a, our practices, no? uh, both in terms of artists, curators, etc. And you. Sort of like work beautifully through all these elements. So yes, so I want to I want you to respond to the question that um, y- you were asked at the beginning of uh, Marlene's presentation. No, how would uh, in the case of these two artists that, w- that were producing the work in 1961, no? um, how that work if I remember correctly. No, what, what was what k- has been omitted of Art History, no? which is also uh, very much in in relation to attend that B.C. and uh, Other Group and Annette and others, and, uh, and Emily and I, were trying to somehow sort of reframe with the women's and airplanes, no, something beyond um, the how how we are capable to create these uh, scenarios where are about public intellectual sharing mm-hmm. um, uh, beyond the, the 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 centers, no, that relationship with the centers that I, that I discussed at the beginning. Um, yes, if you if you want. In our history, how, mm-hmm. how you're making this work looking at the mm-hmm. artists.
3: And, um. Well, I mean, this, I think it's happening in different forms. And I think, and going back to, I think a point that was made in the address is that BC was about the idea of collectivity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the idea of omission today is um, tackle from not. So much of um, accusations of structure, but what I see is is a reclaim mm-hmm. um, and a reclaim that speaks to younger generations, artists who are interested in, and I would say historians, curators who are interested in speaking to those omissions. So it's one thing to address that there were omissions, there was systematic omission, but the other from what I got your, from your comments, um, is what do we then do with the submissions? How mm-hmm. do we place it in the now, mm-hmm. and yet possibly how does it become useful in the, f- in the future? Mm-hmm. So, context becoming one of them. And one of the examples that comes to mind, and I'll speak back to my own work, is Kimangwa uh, mm-hmm. Lehuleh's work mm-hmm. in the way that he begins to have conversations with this older generation of artists through his own work. So on the one hand, this addresses the omission. Uh, mm-hmm. Who was Gladys Mkudlantlu? Who was Valerie Desmo, Who was Enes Manova, And suddenly this is in conversation to say, here's a younger artist today who's saying, actually my placement in the world is speaking to a trajectory and a history of making that comes from this place. Um, and the situation situationness of this practice speaks directly to myself. Um, myself, my identity, race, and, and so forth. So what's been interesting is, I think there's been progress in less of a drilling of there was a systematic omission, but to kind of think, how do we um, progressively work with address om- the omission, yeah, it's, an indic- it's there. But we also kind of foreground a possibility of, of, of placing this work in, in today. So one of the things that, for instance, the, the exhibition, and maybe to go back to the image that I didn't show, um, in that exhibition, which was called The Fragile Archive, mm-hmm. I was interested in this notion of showing the fragility of the archives. How do you work with absences to, prov- to propose a series of questions in this space, the idea was not to produce an exhibition that filled the gaps, but rather showed the gaps um, and showed the lack of accessibility to certain things. So the works that were here were based on a list of works, which were a catalogue of, of the exhibition that Larissa and had in 1961. Um, And the idea was how do we deal with the fragmentedness and the fragility of the archive by showing series of questions. You had works and the list of works that were originally named and we know that when works come back on resale, it gets renamed. So some of the works were placed under the original names as a way of questioning that. Um, Could we speculate that the work is, is dated 1961 and this work could have been part of this exhibition. Um, so, and the big, the big thing that I work with is about self-determination. How do I, as a practitioner, speak about the existing visibility of these pioneers? They have been there. How, what were they saying about their work? And how do we speak about the intersection of my voice and their voice in speaking about this history, so speaking about the fragility of the archive and making, exposing that, and through exhibitions um, is, I think, one way in which the omissions get addressed. Mm-hmm. It is also one way of creating space for voice of people who, at the time, their work was simply overlooked or included in particular ways that were not nuancing what they were really speaking to.
1: Help this it. is also as as you were uh, telling us at the beginning the importance of exhibition histories, right? Like also yes. not only to go back to the work and the research around the work, but the work of the display creates a memory, um, in a way, an episode of our history, if you mm-hmm. want, um, which is now a necessary instrument or tool for us to get to that history, but it's still um, without this sense of completeness. and I appreciate very much that you did this beautiful display where the absences are also a, a, a in a very tangible yeah. element of the of the exhibition uh, yeah. extremely. Um, and maybe to
3: give some context, yeah. the exhibition was in a boardroom yeah. of a liberal party. So again, it wasn't in gallery. the kind of system, in mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a gallery space. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the question is, that is an, an, an easily forgettable mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. But that is 1961, she had this exhibition in a boardroom of the Liberal Party. And, and so how do we value that and as, a, as an exhibition history moment mm-hmm. rather than only going to and uh, referencing institutions that would have had exhibitions and or events that were qualifying as exhibitions?
1: And it gets you to, to talk about why she was presented in that space Correct. and not within the canonical
3: yeah.
1: uh, exhibition uh, space. Yeah. Do you, would you like to address also this question from the perspective of your presentation? The omission in a history? Well,
2: um, I have an experience in the sense that I mean, I had this idea that uh, uh, if something doesn't exist, then we have to create it which means that uh, I had uh, this idea that we should have um, the first textbook of its kind. uh, And that was, the subject should be about the omitted men, women from the so-called third world, which then ended up with modern art in Africa, Asia and Latin America. Uh, The question was to find a publisher who will believe our, our that it was necessary because a friend of mine, Professor Ellen O'Brien in America mm-hmm. was, uh, her class consisted of a uh, majority people, f- or, or, uh, majority of students came from either Latin America or Asia mm-hmm. or African American mm-hmm. from Caribbean and so on. And she was teaching them art history uh, the way it should be. Mm-hmm. And they were asking, "And where is our story? And uh, we came together and we said that, let us do the job. Mm -hmm. Um, Then the question was to find, if we will find anyone who will want to publish us, who will believe in our idea, if we can find other scholars who will join us. Uh, It took us five years. And basically, we did it for free. So I did my African section.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And it was where the omission of the women was. So glaring, where are these black women artists? Uh, I know they do exist, I, f- I discovered, mm-hmm. of course, mm-hmm. I um, went around to, I, I traveled to Nigeria to try to find if I could find some of these women. I traveled to South Africa to try to find where are they, they must be. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, after five years, we did get a publisher, that's Wiley and Blackwell, and thus mm-hmm. we came out with this book, Modern Art in Africa and Latin America. And all the time we were trying to balance to see that, um, you know, it, the, we, we, our idea was we should have 50, or 50, we should find, try to have equality. Mm-hmm. It never materialized because there is no equality in the art world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and women had dreams, but few. Were capable to, you know, to pursue them. Yeah. Um, so I have a, a, a an experience about hunting for knowledge and trying to find these women. Where are they? <coughs> and hopefully now that we w- with the with the, the the internet and new technology, mm-hmm. we won't need to end up there anymore, mm-hmm. like my generation. Um, and to drum, or or to say that archives are absolutely necessary. Mm. The situation of archives in Africa is deplorable with the exception of South Africa, Mm -hmm. um, even in Nigeria. Mm. That's why BC's work is so important. Mm.
1: The library of the CCA LEGO continues to be one of the best in the country, it's not the best.
2: There were no libraries. I went from artist to artist in their homes and basically bought their archive and brought it to Europe so I could be able to, I was able to do my research. Which means that actually I was robbing Africa. These archives and the material belong Mm. to Africa, and that's where they should stay. And uh, this led me to sort of to to make a research about what's art. Mm. And uh, the person who answered what's art for me was Carl Einstein the interpret object, mm-hmm. otherwise art doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And then from there I went to Pierre Bourdieu, the French cultural sociologist, mm-hmm. to try to find how does the art world function. Mm-hmm. Um, and then did a comparative study. Is it possible to transfer the model from the West to Africa or Third World? In Africa it was not possible because there, the, the infrastructure didn't exist, they're building it now. Uh, To make it short, um, the reason I did that, it was not a question of just getting knowledge, it was uh, trying to find my identity as an artist. Have I right to exist? And how can I exist if I do not know those who existed before me? Mm
1: -hmm. I think I'm in a better place now. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> I, I will say so particularly because one can access to some material that perhaps wasn't available to you. know mm-hmm. you you're talking to Carline said that um of course was interesting in my uh, also my exploration of of thinking about how the Western world has shaped African art and his idea probably of the avant-garde writers at the time is the most um let's say, illuminated, no? because realized that the, we, the, the Western world was incapable to assuming what was um, embedded in an artwork okay. uh, produced, particularly for him, in uh, as he does uh, in Nega Plastic or in Africa Plastic, uh, is the work of African art artists, no, and particularly, is, let's say, tradition-based artwork, which was what he was analyzing at the time and reflecting on how uh, the avant-garde artists were simply addressing the form, mm-hmm. but not the content and the experience around the works. Right? Okay. And I think, but then you have other uh, practitioners, other so intellectuals. That and I remember, like us talking about this long time ago when you live in Brussels, right? Yes. Um, Evelyn and, and Christian, her husband, had an incredible library. Um, that she offered anybody in the world that wanted to go and research. And I was lucky enough that you did that initial research so then I could go, you know, when I was in my 20s, to your house and spend afternoons in your <laughs> library to be able to access this knowledge. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise we, we re scribe I mean, you said you don't want to create, you started, know, your response saying, I don't want to create something or put something in it where it doesn't exist. There is something tricky about, Trying to insert ourselves in a history that, in a way, doesn't seize us that way. Mm-hmm. I think the way to intervene it has to be one that allow for the canonical aspect that define the history to be dismantled. Yes. So then you have to have a new history altogether. But no, not necessarily just to you know to create these patches. I mean, that's what I love your exhibition because those absences has a space mm-hmm. that is we we acknowledge that, but you acknowledge also the fact that the history has to be read that way, mm-hmm. with its own silence, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's very important of what you both are saying. But I don't want Marlene to, I, I want you to expand on the, on the, because you brought us this art history, which is a critical aspect of how um, our role on, on trying to sort of unpack that uh, comes about. And I wonder, um, after I don't know how many years, because my head is too bad now to do mathematics, but when the work is included in the collection, it has already, not the span of time that you are talking about, Everly, has passed. Your art history now is noted by others that are not just peers or, or uh, pioneers of modern practice, but also colleagues uh, um, uh, that throughout those, those periods yep. have also researched. How, how will you envision art history now if you were to uh, reproduce a piece, even if conceptually, if we can do that exercise?
4: Wow, Elvira, that is a really tricky question for <laughs> me. I'm, I'm going to have to think about that for a week. <laughs> 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 um, we have a snap? Yeah, a snap, <laughs> a, I guess a snapshot of what it would be now is that one of the, one of the joys of doing this work, and by this work, mm. I don't just mean making the work, I mean pulling together the archival materials mm. that exist from particular points in history. And, uh, and I, I'm somebody who I'm, I'm really um, indebted to librarians and researchers, but particularly librarians for helping me to find my way to um, to, this, to, 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 to fill some of those blanks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel very I feel a sense of responsibility mm-hmm. that the material that I have access to mm-hmm. is placed somewhere where it can be found. Where it can be part of a rethinking of our history, mm-hmm. you know. So, if I were to re- wanted, if I were to make that that piece again, um, I would hope that I'd be able to make it um, with. I think I'd, I'd need to make it with a particular audience in mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'd have to make it with the audience in mind who are already writing about and incorporating some of that material into their own work. Okay. Um, I don't, f- even though I can sit here now and say that there are probably half a dozen significant volumes of art historical and critical writing that have been published in the last five to six years, and particularly in the last couple of years that looks at that pe- the pe- the pe- period of time that I'm mm. researching. Uh, so even though that, that those exist, I still think there's a huge work to be done to, to change art history. When, mm-hmm. I'm, when I say change art history, I don't mean change what has already been written.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: I mean change the way that, that that discipline views itself and views the world. Mm-hmm. To make it more useful, to make it more approachable, to make it more than a way to pay homage to power.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, for, so for me at the moment, I feel a bit disappointed with mm-hmm. our history as a discipline
2: mm-hmm.
4: because it hasn't freed itself mm. from that kind of power dynamic. Mm-hmm. You know. and I, but I think that there are radical pieces of work that happen. Often though, I think they happen outside of the discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember not so long ago being on a panel Um, that was um, about Making Monument. It was called Making Monument, Mm -hmm. and it was a panel discussion of John O'Komferer and Smoking Dog's um, piece about um, Stuart Hall, Mm -hmm. Uh, The Unfinished Conversation. Mm -hmm. And one of the provocations that came, I think, from the audience was something along the lines that Stuart Hall and and the writing that he'd done and um, 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 cultural theory had kind of um, usurped art history and that um, artists being written about in that kind of sociological mode was somehow undermining the work and the response that... That the panel gave was that it wasn't so much that that the artists of the '80s had turned their back on art history, as much as art history didn't want us.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, we were without a home, yes. and sociology said, "Come along over here,
1: mm-hmm. let's talk." Mm-hmm.
4: You know, so uh, so I would want our history to change. Mm-hmm. I pre- think I would
2: just add that I mean, when it comes to art history, It is quite a new science, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the art history as such was uh, invented in German when it was really, you have Wolfling and all these type of people. And I think that there is a, 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 given that art history is such a new science, um, there is big possibilities to remodel it, to add, to minors, to to what, And for me, I'm I'm, I'm really... um, I think we are living in a very fascinating period. Mm. Because when I started doing my research, I was just lucky I happened to be married to an art historian, <laughs> critic, and TV producer who knew how you know this well. And he was much older than me, this Swedish art historian, Christian Rumare. Between us two, we spoke eight languages, which means that we could go to Germany uh, archives, we could go to French archives, we could go to Scandinavian archives, we could go to Belgian archives, so we were just raiding everywhere. <coughs> so uh, I will go to the African, if I need to use to Swahili, I will use Swahili, I will use English. I will, if I was just mm-hmm. basically uh, um, from the, 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 the Anglophone area only, mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. I should have had that possibility mm-hmm. and an insight about what is artistry, mm-hmm. where did it start? I wouldn't have come, for example, uh, with the writings of Carl Einstein. Karl Einstein was there in 1915. He was very radical at that particular time. But I mean, there was no translation of his works, which means that my husband has to translate Karl Einstein from German to Swedish so that I could read it. Mm. So I read it in Swedish, and then I went, translated it to English. So, you know, it was, it is just a coincidence that I I happened to be lucky uh, we had such a, uh, Mm
5: -hmm.
2: I don't think I would have been me today, as as an art historian or a thinker, if it was not that I mean, we were it was a two collaboration, mm-hmm. and uh, within that there was this. Uh, in Swedish, they call it "göva." Göva means uh, so like a, a gift, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the gift of this intermarriage mm-hmm. was that there were eight languages we could. And wow. which means that we were totally uh, promiscuous. We could go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: and I have to say that I, that <laughs> I, I know, knowing uh, Christian as I was lucky enough you know, to have met him, he's an incredible man. He was an extremely intelligent. There is something that you have said, um, and I guess this question goes to you both, but of course, Nanto as well, uh, which is our make, uh, uh, sorry, our history as a space um, of, of, of let's say, of oblivion, or dismissal, of uh, double binding—you said before, no? As a space that needs to be, need intervention, that need transformation. And these past two days, I have been talking to people that is coming from design, from fashion, from film. Um, people, as you uh, were talking when you talked to this more, how she f- went out of our history, went out of our production. To do a uh, fashion, right? Like, th- to, that, that at times it is no necessarily to be framed, that, that, that you find yourself a way to be remembered by our history, if you want. No? But I want us to talk a little bit about art making, um, uh, because it's also about the production of something that is capable to, um, I will say this thing that Karen will laugh because we were told this many times. <laughs> While we were um, together. Uh, that is demanded to be transformative, right? Yeah. And this demand is, I think, is at, at times, you know, it's like w- woman's work. Uh, y- as you pointedly say at the beginning, uh, is that it was either reduced to um, a domestic environment, a, dom- mm-hmm. so a, a certain kind of everydayness. No, there was something beautiful now working for instance like people with, uh, with people like Betty Saar, no? I learned I how minimum gestures to something that is uh, an everyday um, element can be so powerful. Mm-hmm. No? Articulated in a way that can be extremely transformative, right? If you want in that way. But art making and art production of having no, and being the real conduit to make that transformation. Most of the things and and of course uh, uh, unfinished conversation because of what Stuart did is in itself an art work that is a, a also a a testament of his practice no but but it's also our making as you were saying you di- you maybe were not remembered by our history but and and you were sort of like embraced by social studies or sociology, but you were still producing art works right Artworks mm-hmm. that needed as you said very beautifully at the beginning um that could not be, uh, if they were not received as such, could not be such an art, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think that is that's also a, I think important as, as the role of an, an artist, mm-hmm. female, no female mm-hmm. binary, non-binary, mm-hmm. um, that you have a chance to mm-hmm. produce something that could change somebody's subjectivity, somebody's um, sen- sensible education. No? And I think that, for me, is a key. And I wonder if we can talk a little bit more about that with respect to your practices, but also to the the way that we encounter the artists, right? And and how, in a way, as a curators, are trying to create episodes in which all these things are uh, remembered, um, placed in the position that has to be transformative enough to um, reinvent and subvert canon, Western canon, in this case, are are somehow brought by the work of the artist. Mm
4: -hmm. Okay. Recently, returning to my practice, and
1: um, you never left. Okay.
4: <laughs> well, you a long pause, so <laughs> um, I can only speak about this in 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 terms of my own yeah, working at the moment. So what I find is that you know when I think you know maybe I'm somebody that if you say to me that. Can't use that. Then I'm more interested to to find out why I can't use it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why, you know, you can't. Why? Um, and I'm really conscious that in my early in my 80s work, those objects that were kitsch and domestic, and those crafts that were the, you know, the the, the you know where you find women's work, um, were not considered as important as painting Mm. or as radical as performance or, do you know, I'm I'm conscious of those types of prejudices that kind of float around, Um, but when I'm making work, um, it's exactly those practices and the difficulty of that practice that I get excited by. Mm. in terms of it being transformative there's a test I guess is that you become engrossed in something Um, and I don't, I mean I'm not trying to suggest that artists or even myself just kind of suddenly feel intuitively that I'm going to go do this thing and it's just (laughs) pure intuition and it's all uh, I don't, that's certainly not the way that I practice, I have to think about what and why I'm making the choices that I make However, there's a moment of um, risk mm. where you put the thought and the thing, the object, the color, the shape, the form, the series of actions together and you share it. Mm. And for me, and this I don't know whether this is um, um, something that other people would contest or not, doesn't really become art until it's seen mm. yes. you know so the transformative moment is not necessarily the one that I have mm-hmm. what's happening with my practice is something else that's going on between me and it mm-hmm. the transformative moment is when it is seen Answers your question at all. It does.
1: In, in many, <laughs> okay. many different ways, that I don't know if we will have time to unpack, but I, I want to hear from you guys before we open to the public. Um, if we look at it, I mean, uh,
2: world over, when we were making objects, if they were made in China, they were made in Japan, they were made in Africa, whatever, most of them had other functions. They had uh, religious functions. They had uh, just for beauty, and so and so on. Um, the arts, we say, the classic arts of Africa. Uh, uh, they had totally other functions. But when that function has, uh, it, when they are not used for ritual or religious, then it's when Kalenjin say mm-hmm. we rebaptize them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we call them art. Mm-hmm. We reinterpret it. Mm-hmm. We start uh, looking at him as an aesthetic object, mm-hmm. not like, uh, not as worshipping them. Mm-hmm. And this process goes on and on and will forever go on. And uh, um, something which was not looked upon as art now is called art. You'll find in languages, uh, in Swahili, there is a language for for for, for art, mm-hmm. which is sana, which is something your beauty, really beauty. Mm. But you go in Japanese, there is no such a term. Mm. So, and you'll find many other languages, they don't have those forms. But I mean, this is what is interesting in the sense that, you know, uh, all the time when I'm, uh, uh, I know that if an object is not seen, Mm. then it is just an object. It's just an utensil. Mm. So there is no art unless we name it as art and elevate it to the status of art. Otherwise it's just, and there, there then you come into the sense, I mean, which objects are, are, have, are um, classified as art and which are not. And you'll see that most of the objects produced by women, mm-hmm. they're not elevated to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, most objects produced by by people of African origin mm-hmm. and other were not elevated to that. I, the history for example of textile is very interesting. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you, and I'm talking here about how it, it was here in Europe. Before it was guilds. you know, mm-hmm. it was equal. Mm-hmm. And then come the so-called notion of, of fine art, then it's the ladies, <laughs> you know. So this process goes on Mm -hmm. all the time. um, What might be now called art does not mean perhaps in the next future, in the next generation, they will think about as art, Mm -hmm. unless we preserve it, worship it, or or build houses for them like museums and so and so forth, Um, it's just nothing. But the the good thing about art also is that we know that 99% of it will perish in one form or another (laughs) <laughs> so and when they have perished the little which is left then we
3: ah, ah.
2: <laughs> so, and I, I mean that is I think it's funny because I mean here we are sitting here serious like but we don't know if everyone is going to ever be remembered or anything of hers will pass but perhaps um, if uh, one little thing pass then it will be oh behind mm-hmm. the under <laughs> the, the glass course, and bulletproof. (laughs) I mean, this is so fascinating about art. I really love art, art history, art theory, anything to do with art. I mean, how did we end up there? And then you start seeing, it's like religion whereby you decide this is a piece of, of land and this land, we are going to consecrate it and we are going to call it church and then we are going to worship it. (laughs) There is some kind of convergence. Mm -hmm.
1: I don't know. uh,
2: I'm a little bit, (laughs) (laughs) what do you think?
1: (laughs) Nanda, before we go, do you (laughs) want to add something to that?
3: I think maybe just echoing what's been said in the sense that I think what you pointed out um, was around the idea of process, right? So the making never really stops. Uh, It may be starting from the studio, but the, the transformative elements happen in the studio happens when the work is encountered mm. so it happens when those little things that are left <laughs> are retranslated and interpreted and the the beauty then is that the work is still made even when it's it's shown in as it's shown in different places it is still the making mm. and the transformation that you are linking to. Mm. Um, as you know, that then the, 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 the duty of the <laughs> those who receive it is to remain faith, faithful to mm, what yes. the artist mm. initially intended. Mm. Um, so we, we are making meaning in relation mm. to the original intentions. But the, as, I suppose what you were saying quite prof- profoundly is that process in the making is a continuous thing. Mm. Yes.
1: And the with the making of meaning, which I feel is extremely important no? as, as one of our uh, point and role as people in this business, mm. um, but also people in these feelings, people in these um, experiences. No? Mm. And, and I think that's, that's one, one key thing that both of your, um, uh, all of your presentations bring with you, no? how that experience is um, something that also formulate who our condition as a human being. And, and, and as MK, your will say it, also the non-human collaborators that intervene in that, yeah. s- vis-a-vis those objects that you mentioned, vis-a-vis the, the world being transformed into this other element mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. then call art. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to open a um, question to the public, which I know are eager to ask something that is a question.
5: So I want to ask a difficult question, which I have answers to, but I want to know what you think, which is uh, everybody critiques art history. Art historians critique art history. Mm -hmm. But it is strangely and brutally enforced by the ways in which we organise Mm -hmm. exhibition and classify objects, Mm -hmm. which is by national tradition more than by gender or race and continues to be so. And I just wonder whether the national tradition is really what we should be questioning when we say we want to question art history. Because, I mean, I would like to imagine art history in many ways which are transnational, um, open to all genders, races, you know, and imagined in very different ways. But when it comes to the organizing of exhibitions and classification of objects and the bringing together of objects, we endlessly reinforce national patterns of culture. And it is national patterns of culture that is the thing that we should
1: actually be really thinking quite hard about. Can I say something about this? Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for your question. It is a difficult one. But I will say... um, that of course, traditional art history have made that into the subject. I remember this um, national, I mean, national collection as the, as the subject of, um, uh, let's say, at the conduit by which art history is delivered. But I think contemporary experience is a completely different one. In the sense that, I think it is, in the sense that you not only teach art history, you could teach visual cultures in which the relationship between objects and concept periods and context is a different one. Much more closer to uh, what Ngungi Watiyongo was saying in this quote, but also more importantly what Asiko meant for some of the practitioners uh, of uh, BC's program. Asiko was a program in which he invited 15 to 20 artists and curators who are, uh, uh, from uh, all over the continent and at times from the diaspora, though not regularly, there are very few exceptions. Invited to share and live together with art um, historians and curators. Uh, and in that particular context, having both traditional art history and also other ways to teach critical and um, uh, criticality, let's say, in art making, she managed to transform the education you receive. But also visual cultures that has been uh, in the world for 11 years, transformed the way that you do um, uh, collection, uh, sorry, art history. The way that you, um, that for instance, a place like Tate collect, no? Uh, which collect for the national history, the, the national collection, sorry, is also embedded in forms of uh, transgeographical uh, co- uh, collection making, right? even though certain things are presented within the context of the National Collection, there are other ways in which you can then envision art history because of that. What I'm trying to say is that um, for me, and, and, and I, I had an education in art history, but I unpacked the education going through libraries and understanding, for instance, the meaning of art by artists from other regions of the world. And to me, that was the way in which one can uh, unpack a history to begin with. Exhibition making is another way. I think collective making is still about nations in some aspect, not always. Mm. Uh, particularly because you collect for a public uh, within a within a nationhood, let's say. But exhibition making does does not have that as a as a as a main scope. And exhibition making for me is as important. As collecting, because one, um, and this goes back to your questioning of of defined defining Western terms. I define art in um, African terms, or what I have understood that African terms signified at some point in my career, and that means that at times the experience around certain objects is as important as the object itself. The, the what your questioning has the value of the work in. Aspects of antiquity in the object itself. What I'm talking about and the art history I'm talking about, the art history that I used to teach as well, has experience as a different relationship, conceptual uh, relationship between objects, periods, um, and other thematics as a way to build that history. So that's my, my own take on a history, which I'm allowed to work that way because I'm in a department of visual culture. I, but, I, but I'm not saying that this is, there are still many, many departments that need to be decolonized, by the way, mm-hmm. that are still processing and teaching our history in the terms that you explained. But I think, yes, this is uh, a, a part of your question, yes. A part of your question, no. I think we have gone past that. And I just, to finish, I want to um, remember de uh, who is a Spanish philosopher when he talks about art, he says that in many cases, the laziness of the art historian, the putting together ob- objects from a place, made the art of the place. And I think if I have done something in my life, it's trying to, as he said, um, create a counter narrative to that laziness, being extremely active to change that discourse.
3: I'm not sure whether it's. Uh, it is a difficult question. I think that the using the word "reinforce" is, is, is claiming a kind of purist in a sense that we're constantly bashing ourselves with only this one place. That I think that if we think about even the notion of a center, that the decentering has happened and has always been happening. Um, the way knowledge and place of knowledge has been happening, but it is in this, in this constant calling that we are only speaking from one place. I don't think we are only speaking from art history um, and as demonstrated here. To say that we are reinforcing it is calling back us into a corner that is about a purest idea that there's only that one place and refusing the fact that we have said centres exist elsewhere. Um, of course, yes, we've gotten our degrees going through art history <laughs> and uh, the attempt to kind of unlearn that. Um, And the unlearning has been about the discovery that the centers are not in art history. Hi, thank you so much for speaking today. I really
2: needed
0: this session when thinking about going into the arts field. Um, I'm just starting my master's at SOAS, and I really wanted to get advice from you guys on what to do when thinking about the arts, because I think I'll go to museums and I'll go to different spaces and I'll see that black arts are
2: important, but then when you go to the administrative side, you won't see um, any women of color in the administrative component. And I think that's what's making it very difficult for me to see myself in the arts and see myself as an administrator in the arts. And when you do see those curators, um, black women who are curators, they're coming from anthropology, they're coming from sociology, they're not coming from a history of art background. Mm So I wanna ask you, what kind of tips would you give someone just starting off in their career, in their young 20s, on how to get involved in the arts field and make a difference? Because I feel like there's so many different causes that you want to start in, because so many things need so much work. (laughs) I think it's it's, it's for curators.
3: (laughs) It's for you and you. Oh no! (laughs) I think that it's also understanding there's there's parallel forms of learning that will always, which is why even you you already admit that they are the visibility of black woman is outside of this place, is um, the fact that they in this in the expansion um, that they they exist a whole lot of knowledge makers that you could draw from. And it is, um, it there is a necessity always to to learn in parallel ways, um, and it seems to me that it's largely been, and so far as up to now, been the place that is productive in terms of learning, and so. To, to challenge something to transform something firstly you know t- you need to know what that is but to unpack it you need to explore your world by drawing on many other places to be able to speak and I hope that's been that yes
1: I, Do you want me to also pitch on that um, No I, I think w- what I will say my my own experience, Tells me, let's say that um, you had to follow your own instinct in many ways, right? Like a career doesn't make you. You are not an art historian, and that doesn't define who you are. You know, like you don't study art history, and doesn't, and that defines who you are. No? I, I study art history, and I started to do exhibitions the first year, working with. Uh, we were very lucky because we had this incredible woman that had tried uh, this um, students-run uh, organization. Uh, in a university in a department that didn't have fine art. So we didn't, We need if we wanted to work with artists, we needed to bring, let's say, professional artists or artists that were studying somewhere else or were doing things in the city. And, and mainly those artists were people that didn't have a space in the museum. They didn't necessarily be black or people of colors. I was in the 1990s in Spain when that happened. It was Barcelona. And I had to work with artists and I had to engage with art making and I had to learn how to talk about work, uh, not only about what the artists wanted to say about it, but also what I felt when I saw them, no? as you said, no? how it transformed me. And the fact that I was doing that already in parallel, as you were saying, no, as a form of informal education, mm-hmm. was fundamental. That's why I was mentioning ASICO and BC earlier. No? Uh, I think there is something to be said about one register. If you pursue that line, you will get there. There sometimes won't have the shape, color, smell that you envision it, but you will get somewhere. And I think uh, you raise an important issue, which it was somehow in our conversation, which is the, the form of structural discrimination. Who get to run the museum? There is a, an issue of ownership, right? Like, there is an issue of how, with um, uh, the power, right? What it means, like, now and run an institution that is not necessarily had a, um, um, tradition in African art or blackness is an art institution. And I'm extremely proud to have achieved that. Um, but I will say I, I, I have made the same career that somebody like Karen, right? Like you still work, you study, you do your thing. And then at times, what got me, for instance, at Tate at the time was the fact that I had a knowledge uh, of certain things. And then perhaps because I was at the Tate, then I managed to get somewhere else, not many, uh, many other places. I think what is important here is that you believe that you want to do something with that. But even when you are in that prescribed journey, there may be other things that caught your attention, and you ended up doing fashion, or you ended up making film. I spent, as I said, two days with um, fashion designers that want to become artists that has seen in the in exhibition making a way to uh, present their practice that has more meaning to what they do. Right? All these things are fundamental. There is no recipe. Just just if you pursue that, whatever that is, right? And no matter how as somebody was saying earlier, you know, you, you will have to go there is no straight lines. Maybe you had to go on six and that's okay. You had to take long posts <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. Right? It's not all about success, it's probably more about failure and how one can yeah. overcome those failures uh, that you get somewhere.
2: There is no recipe, I can assure you that. Yeah. But uh, I could recommend you um, uh, the French thinker, Pierre Bourdieu. Mm. He started as an anthropologist, which I also studied uh, from social anthropology, went to, to sociology of arts. And uh, his book of uh, the field of cultural production mm. is quite interesting. Uh, you don't need to, to take everything also, but I mean, it will give you just how, give you uh, a picture about how the field of art works, its power mechanism. Uh, when does the work get uh, consecrated? What kind of institutions, what kind of people are involved in, in that and, and, see, uh, and so forth? I found it very, very helpful um, what he described uh, is that, I mean, um, it's a question of power whereby brothers kill their fathers or sons kill their their fathers and so and so on. So it's constantly evolving. Um, but also t- he takes up about the, 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 about the, about he talks about c- class as well. There's people, for example, who are born uh, in bourgeois the rich families, you know, they don't even question about anything because from the time they were small, they were taken to museums, they were were consuming culture while we were struggling to put food on our tables and we we couldn't take our children to museums and if the museums are, are not free, we don't, we can't go there. He, he's, said I think it is, it, it could give you an idea. But at the same time, just be free. Be wild and go wherever. No <laughs> recipe. And then you might find out that perhaps you don't like it at all. Perhaps actually what you want to be is a filmmaker. Perhaps what you want to, to be is a, is a designer. Perhaps what you want to be, you become an architect. There is so many uh, disciplines whereby creativity is, is involved. So I wouldn't recommend a young person and say that this is the recipe how it should be. It doesn't exist. And that's the beauty of it.
1: Any other question? All right, so, oh.
0: Yeah, of course. Just before Elvira wraps up, I wanted to thank all of you for being so honest and so generous in your advice, but also in your experiences you've touched, I mean, this has been the perfect panel to open this program with, because you've touched on all the thematics that I think we're gonna be picking up in the coming days, the importance of research, not just for artists, but for curators, the importance of creating archives, maintaining them, um, but also in terms of what the future holds and what the role of all of us is in modeling that future so that it is more diverse, so that those art histories are more fully represented And it's not just about complicating the present and ensuring that all people, um, those histories are recorded. It's also about really looking back at the past and trying to think, well, how do you record a history when there aren't those sort of physical objects um, or the sort of written documents where those things have have not been valued and have been lost? We're gonna be addressing all of these questions in more detail in the coming days. So thank you so much for bringing those things to the fore and for sharing so generously. And um, thank you to Alvira for moderating so very well, and for all of you for being here. (laughs) Um,
1: I just well, you just said, but I I just (laughs) want to, um, for those of you that have never encountered Bisi's work, which is also the what is this is about. uh, Please research her. uh, Please try to. If you go to Lagos, visit, of course, CCA, which is still there. Talk to the people that know, that met her, that know her well, and all that know her very little. Um, she had impacted many, 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 many people uh, in such a profound way that um, we all have a, our personal busy. And I think this is uh, perhaps the big lesson here, no? that we are multiple uh, in, the, in in that way. So I just wanted to say thank you so much again to... My panelists, Nonto, Everly, Marlene. Uh, thank you to Karen for inviting us, and the, the team, Julia, Olivia, that organized uh, the forum. And thank you, you to, to all of you for, we, for being such an engaged audience. Um, all right. <laughs>